You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Within the Christian world over the last two to three years, one of the most important books that a lot of people reference over and over again, apart from the Bible, it's important too, is a book called Dominion by Tom Holland. Some of you are really excited right now because you think Spider-Man wrote this awesome book. Sadly, no, it was not Spider-Man, Tom Holland, although if you do Google search, that's the first thing that comes up when you type in Tom Holland. But it's actually just a really good historian that wrote this book called Dominion. And basically in the book, Tom Holland traces kind of the story, the history of Christianity and its influence on the West, the culture that we live in. He doesn't uh, overlook the hard parts or the ugly parts, but he tells pretty convincingly that Western culture has been so thoroughly shaped by Christianity, whether we recognize it or not. Let me give you three examples. First thing is this, slavery. For much of uh, human history, slavery has been an assumed fact and role of certain peoples and groups. No one really questioned it. It was just part of the social system that you you and I were to live in. Except for Christians. Even as early as the 4th century, Gregory of Nyssa, or Nyssa, I don't know how to pronounce it. We have any historians here. Gregory of Nyssa, he saw the, the institution of slavery as abhorrent. It was actually against the image of God in every human being, regardless of social status. Christianity, and then later in the abolitionist movement, Christianity was really the driving force behind the end of the institution of slavery, motivated by Christian faith. Second, human rights. Human rights didn't come from a constitution or a philosopher. Human rights is embedded within the story of Christianity. In the ancient world, when Jesus was born, human rights wasn't a thing. Basically, if you had power or status, uh, you had rights. If you had no power or no status, you had no rights. And anybody can do whatever they wanted to you. But Christianity fundamentally changed that. Now, the slave and the master are on equal terms within the Christian story and the Christian community early on. Lastly, in 2016, uh, there was a large cultural movement called Me Too, where women were sharing stories of being taken advantage of by men. And Holland argues in his book, we don't have the conversation around consent without the deeply formed Christian story of Western culture. Consent was not a reality in the ancient world. Again, if you had status or power, you got to do whatever you wanted to those who had least status or least power. All these different ways, Christianity has radically shaped the West, radically shaped the world. And interestingly, Holland, I don't think he was a Christian when he started researching the book, but now I think he actually believes in the story, or at least is coming to it in different ways. But here's the deal. We live in a culture that's increasingly postmodern and moving away from any idea of a story or a narrative to make sense of the world. But in many ways, we're just, creating a great, we're just committing a great plagiarism of basically taking these ideas from the story of Scripture and God Himself and claiming them as our own, whether it's against slavery, whether it's thinking through human rights, or even the conversation around consent. All of those are just borrowed categories from the Christian story. Like Nietzsche, uh, our culture would say God is dead. We want the kingdom without the king. We're deeply suspicious of anyone claiming that they have a story to make sense of the world. 
So what's this all created? This overwhelming suspicion has created a culture of doubt, of doubt. And not just out there, but in here, in the church. Now, the modern form of faith is doubt, and faith is a form of, uh, is a form of unbelief. It's switched. The default is doubt. So if you were to believe in anything or any story to make sense of the world, you are seen as, uh, as crazy, as against the default position. We're carried even in the church with this calloused cynicism or passive pessimism of recognizing that there's anything that we can't see of this world, that anything beyond just our day-to-day experiences. Uh, one of uh, folk in our church, uh, a person in our church a couple weeks ago, I'm going to try to get him to share a story on a Sunday morning of, of evangelism around trying to share good news with one of his coworkers. And he was so winsome in how he did it and trying to speak the gospel in a way that this person at work would understand. In a culture of just suspicion and doubt and there's nothing else that exists outside of this frame. You might be uh, thinking this is the most depressing sermon you've ever heard in your life. And so far it has been pretty depressing. Because again, it isn't just out there in the world, but we also are filled with the suspicion, mistrust, doubt, confusion. Some of those things can be really good in different times and places. So what do we do with all that? What do we, how do we make sense of it? The reason I'm bringing this all up is not just to make your Sunday morning miserable, although that might have started that way. But we're going to talk about signs and wonders this morning from Acts 2. And we live in such a culture of suspicion and doubt that we so easily dismissed any conversation around signs or wonders as kind of a fairy tale or magic. But I want to kind of reimagine what signs and wonders might look like from the passage in Acts 2. So if you have a Bible, would you pull it out? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. As we live in this callous cynicism and passive pessimism that permeates all of our lives, Signs and wonders seem like just something that doesn't exist or that we just kind of skip over in this passage here in Acts 2. But let's read it. It says, verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Another way to translate that would be fear, like healthy fear. Filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Signs and wonders. That's what I want to focus in on this morning. To start, though, I want to kind of do a a heart check or some kind of diagnostic of where your heart's actually at. And these are the three questions I just want to sit in silence with as we think of this culture of suspicion and doubt that isn't just out there but in our own hearts where we have this cynicism and pessimism though it just is what it is, nothing will really ever change. Here's my three questions I'd love for you just to reflect on silently. When was the last time you were truly expectant for God to move in your midst? When was the last time you prayed for God to move powerfully in your city? Performing signs and wonders.
when was the last time you experienced wonder when you were in God's creation? Like in the space like this, where you were overwhelmed with wonder at what God has made. Those are just three simple questions. And yet, I would assume for a vast majority of us, living into expectancy for God to move in our midst is often not our default position. We're more, we more assume the positions of cynicism or just it is what it is or even a pessimism, hoping for some, sometimes something better, but just assuming it will be worse than we maybe imagine. So let's talk, about, let's talk about signs and wonders. Like how do we, as we want to step in, to be expecting that God will move in our midst, move in our city, to have wonder at what he's made, how do we grow in that? And I just want to maybe reimagine for you uh, a complex topic that maybe some of you have really great memories of signs and wonders happening in a church tradition that you're a part of. Some of you maybe have hurt and pain from experiences that people maybe have prayed over you or tried to heal you in some way that maybe... Uh, messed with your faith, and for lack of a better word. Like, what, what are signs and wonders being described here? So let's define it. A sign is an insight, is about insight. Sign is you have insight. You, you receive insight about something. A wonder is about capturing your imagination for what could be or what will be when Jesus returns. So insight, signs. Imagination, wonder. Signs and wonders happening together. So let's talk about signs. A couple of months ago, uh, I was driving home from a Starbucks near my house, and it had just rained, and I saw the most amazing rainbow I have ever seen in my entire life. It was like right above my house, I felt like. As I'm pulling up, my, my kids are out front. They're like screaming and yelling. They're like, this is the most exciting thing. It was a double rainbow too, just by the way. All the way. Uh, it was a double rainbow outside of my house. My kids are freaking out about it. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Like, this was probably a couple months. And I pull up, and this might have been prompted by Dad. Maybe not. It might have been just been my kids are just thoroughly shaped by the Christian story. But one of my kids, probably Clark, he just goes, Dad, it's a rainbow. It's God's promise. And I was like, yes. <laughs> now, is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's God's promise. It's a sign. That doesn't negate the science that's happening behind the rainbow. Uh, for example, most of us, when we see a rainbow, at least now as, as moderns, we just, oh, there's a rainbow. And this is what we kind of think about if, you've been, uh, if you have any understanding of how rainbows work, which I don't really. So this is just from National Geographic. National Geographic says, when sunlight hits a rain droplet, some of the light is reflected. The electromagnetic spectrum is made of light with many different wavelengths and each is reflected at a different angle. The spectrum is separated, producing a rainbow. Now, is that true? Absolutely. But is a rainbow simply that? Is it simply the science behind how light and water reflect together? A sign is something that you can see, but that you can also look through. It has actually significance. And all throughout the scripture, you have these different physical signs that, yes, have maybe a scientific ex explanation behind them, but they mean so much more. It gives you insight about something so that when you see a rainbow, yes, maybe it's good to know the science behind it. That's really important. 
and how God intricately puts that all together, but also to see a rainbow and say that is a sign of God's promise that he will never flood the earth again. One of the uh, traditions of Christianity is uh, East, uh, Eastern tradition. They emphasize icons. Icons we're really unfamiliar with. Um, there's, you could even argue there's some icons here and you will see that when we move back inside. But icons are like a physical representation usually of Christ and with somebody else. It's either like a little portrait or sometime a, sometimes a figure. And the vision or role of an icon is you're supposed to look at it and it's supposed to be in a sense a portal into prayer, a portal into encountering God. But the goal is not to simply just look at it, but to look through it, to actually experience God as you see this icon in front of you, this physical representation of Christ, to experience his actual real presence, something behind it. And you and I, we're made in God's image, and the, Im the word for image there is really icons, that you and I are signs of God's presence as we walk around, as we interact with one another, as people see us, as we're living out our image-bearing reality. They get a taste of God. We're a sign of who God is and what he's about. So if you're looking for signs, maybe here's maybe a way to reimagine. Let me just give you a few examples. A sign could be something that is unbelievably beautiful, like a flower or a sprawling tree reminding you of God's masterful work in creation. A sign could be a dinner where people who would normally never spend time together are now friends giving a glimpse of the kingdom giving you that glimpse of what this restored creation will be like. A sign could be the joy you experience holding a child where you find yourself immediately overwhelmed with emotion for how this is a small taste of how much God loves you. A sign could be a team of people at work encouraging and supporting one another as you work towards a common goal where everyone flourishes, displaying a small glimpse of the new humanity that is to come. A sign could be a good meal or a good cup of coffee that explodes with flavor that you can't even explain. Showcasing the master artist, God himself, the giver of every good gift. A sign could be the gentle touch of a friend who knows you and sees you as if the very hand of God was on your shoulder. These are all just simple signs but they're portals, these moments, these experiences are portals to actually remember something about God's character that moves past just the moment. Let's talk about wonders. If signs are about insight, wonders are about imagination. If you've been part of the story of God over the last uh, couple of years, we always start with the same question, which is if you could imagine the world the, world the way it was supposed to be, like what would it be like? What would, experience, what would your experiences be like? And I'm sorry, the many times I've led through the story of God, which has been quite many at this point, I'm always disappointed at our answers. Like, always disappointed. We have no imagination for what restored creation might look like. We only can imagine the absence of bad things, not actually what things could actually be like. Restored and, and even better than they were originally. Like, it's always like, no cancer. Absolutely, that is, that is like so true. If we could just eliminate cancer, Yes, absolutely. But like, even like what would be like the next step? Like not just no cancer, but like flourishing human bodies that can do all sorts of things they were designed to do. Like what's not just the absence of a problem, but also the beauty and vision of something more. 
the reason I share that story of the story of God is because when we think about wonders, which is restored imagination around what God could do and when his kingdom comes fully on earth, we have a hard time even knowing what to pray for or how to, what to seek when we're asking for wonders to take place. We think about, this is wonders comes to the conversation of miracles uh, in the gospels. There's a lot of miracles that Jesus does. And miracles really are, are not a disrupting of the natural order. They're a restoring of how humans and places and things were made to be restored. So as you think about wonders, the question is, like, where do you see restored creation breaking in and praying for God to showcase that in some way? It could look like this. It looks like the repair and restoration of a relationship that seemed permanently tainted and broken. It looks like someone experiencing physical or psychological healing and deliverance. It looks like an area of the city once damaged and destroyed, now beaming with life and flourishing for everyone, regardless of social status or income level. It looks like every time someone encounters the risen Jesus and takes up the call to come and follow him. That is a wonder when people are brought from death to life by the Holy Spirit. It looks like unexplainable situations where you expect really bad news, but you get unexplainable good news. Like these are all the wonders of creation. Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear where they're happening in our midst? Signs and wonders. Signs are about insight. That parts of God's creation give you insight about God's character or something he wants to say. Sometimes even a warning. Often in the prophets, the signs are used for where a sign is displayed and it gives a warning about, in a sense, what's to come, which might not be that good of news. And a wonder is about imagination, about imagining what restored creation might look like and praying for that to happen in your midst, in your own life and the people around you or in the creation itself. Signs and wonders. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to some people around you and I'd love for you to just begin to pray together around signs and wonders. Here's, the, here's how to kind of uh, form your prayer as a group. First, I want you to, in a sense, offer a confession of where your own heart has been calloused or pessimistic about your current realities or somebody else's realities that actually prevents you from being expectant that God could move in your midst. So that's the first thing. It starts with confession. But then I want you to pray for the next two weeks, just, for the, just pray as you're praying for the next two weeks, for you to experience clear signs of insight from God as you go about your daily life? Like what is God trying to say through his world and the things that he's made about his character and his goodness that give a sign of, of something that I may be missing about who God is? And then to pray for wonders that God would in your midst, not as a guarantee, not as we're trying to manipulate God into doing something, but pray that God would restore parts of his creation, either in ourselves or in others or in the cities that we live. Signs and wonders. So turn to some people around you. We're going to spend the next couple minutes in prayer. First, praying in an act of confession where you feel calloused. And then second, signs and wonders. And if you're like, I'm really confused and I'm still uncomfortable with signs and wonders as a whole, you can just sit and listen to others pray with you. And here as they're trying to figure out what to do with this vision that in this early community in Acts, as they gave themselves to the rhythms of the kingdom, as they prayed, as the apostles were among them, signs and wonders were being done that I think are still happening today. All right, so turn to some people around you.
We'll pray for a couple minutes and then I'll call you back. as we're sent out expecting signs and wonders, looking for signs and wonders in healthy ways, would you first start by recognizing the sign and wonder of what we're about to do? Every week we end our service with the first sign and the wonder that precedes all, everything else, all of the other ones the cross and resurrection. The cross, the symbol in the ancient world, Holland in his book does this masterful job. The cross was the ultimate picture of shame, humiliation, and condemnation of defeat that now has become the sign that people carry around uh, on their chest, around their neck to showcase to the world that this no longer is a sign of condemnation, shame, or defeat. It is a sign of forgiveness and hope. And not only the cross, but the resurrection, what Jesus has done in his resurrection, his actual body is a wonder. The spirit raising Jesus from the dead, his physical body is the first fruits. It's the first wonder of what he will do with all of creation. You and me and everything you see will be restored back to life better than even how it was originally made. We're not going back to a garden. We're going to a garden city that Jesus is restoring and calling us to participate in. Sign and wonder right here every week. You take this. And so even if you carry with you still a sense of pessimism or callous cynicism, as we all will in the waters we swim in, you get to start first by just simply walking forward, expectant that this morning you will receive a sign, the cross, and you will experience wonder the resurrection, and that is great news and great hope for regardless of what happens the next two weeks. So would you stand with me? I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, the passage we read each week, and I'm going to invite you to the table to receive from Jesus what he has done. It says this, on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. We proclaim together the wonder and sign of the cross and resurrection. Would you repeat with me that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again, and then come and receive from the King. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and receive.